This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast. With your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. Guests this week include James, Kevin and Ian. We might have a couple of people joining in later. But first of all, um, earlier I spoke to Arsenal fan Tim Stillman from Arsbog about the weekend's game. So Tim, what did you make of the game? Fairly comfortable winning the end for Arsenal, but it took you a while to get the first goal. It did, yeah. And, uh, you know, we had, we had a, a couple of chances in the first half, but... Um... I, I, I certainly wasn't expecting it to be a rollover. I know Burnley have shown earlier in the season that they can be very good defensively. Um, obviously, the problem that Sean Dyche ran into was that Burnley couldn't score any goals, so he tried to open things up a bit, I think. But obviously, he was never going to come to Arsenal and do that. And so I, I wasn't surprised to see Burnley you know, have a re- relatively comfortable first half. Um, and actually, the first 15 minutes of the second, I think, Burnley looked, you know, they looked fairly threatening on the counter um, as Arsenal tried to step it up and might have had a little chance um, at 0-0 when I think Flamini made a kind of last-minute, last-minute clearance. But uh, yeah, in the end, once once we got the first goal, um, it was a kind of economies of scale kind of thing. We got a spring in our step. Burnley, you know, slumped a little bit and then conceded the second very quickly. In the last 20 minutes, it was, you know, it was, it was a case of how many, um, really. But I, I, you know, I wasn't surprised that it took us a little while um, to break Burnley down. Um, the only crumb of comfort I can give to Burnley fans listening is you're not going to face a striker like Alexis Sanchez very often. Um Probably only once or twice a season will you, will you face a striker that good, and he's been a, a bit of a godsend for us. And he, you know, he made the difference again on Saturday. Hopefully that's true. I thought it was absolutely outstanding. Although from from our point of view, it's not great to see a striker the size of Sanchez winning headers in the penalty box. But I suppose that's that's the fear that he, he strikes into teams. It, it was crosses that undid us, and it, it seems quite un-Arsenal to to attack that way, but. Maybe you just sense that was a weakness in our defence. We've conceded so many goals from crosses recently. 
it's it's really weird actually when i was kind of writing a match preview for this so you know i'd like to look up stats and the rest of it and i you know i saw that actually burnley are worse at corners than arsenal in terms of both attacking them and defending them um so i think probably burnley and arsenal fans have got some common ground in that we'd probably quite like to ban the whole art of corner taking um, it was a surprise as far as we were concerned to score like that, as particularly as you pointed out for a player like Sanchez um, to win a header. But we've kind of played him just off the striker in the last couple of games. And actually both of his goals were a result of late runs into the box. Um, I think the, the corner from which Chambers scored, I think at nil-nil that doesn't happen. I think Burnley's head's just dropped um, for a minute or two. Uh, and I mean, for us, I think... We had a home game against Spurs in September and we forced about 18 corners and we didn't even get a shot from any of them. So it it was surprising in that respect for us um, to score goals in that way, although we've kind of we've just altered the way we play a little bit in the last couple of games. And actually we've been, um, you know, some eyebrows were raised about us playing Flamini and Arteta together in midfield at home against Burnley, who are two very disciplined um, kind of midfielders, but a lot of that is about us getting our fullbacks forward. Um, and you could see that they made a real difference. Chambers set one up and scored one. Gibbs set the third one up. Um, and actually, so for us, it was probably a bit of a surprise to Burnley because we've only been doing it the last couple of games. We've been really encouraging the fullbacks forward. So in one respect, it, it was a bit of a surprise, but on the other, it was probably, you know, Sean Dyche will have been watching videos of Arsenal and he might not have seen that because um, it's it's a relatively new development. It certainly tallies up with our weakness as well, so a little bit of a, a perfect storm from our point of view, I suppose, that your tactics started working yeah. particularly well against what is already a weakness for us. Um, can you give us any crumb of comfort about about Burnley's performance, any positive signs from, from an opposition viewpoint? For me, I've, I think it's... It's all about finding balance for Burnley, you know, because Burnley, they've shown they can defend. I think you guys got three clean sheets in a row um, fairly recently. So you've shown you can defend. Um, And actually, Burnley have played some some pretty decent teams so far in the likes of Everton and Chelsea um, and ourselves um, and Manchester United as well, who, you know, for all their problems, they've got some talent up top. They can score goals. Um, and but then obviously you know you had this problem where you can't score goals and you know with folks out at the moment that doesn't really look like it's going to get any better until either January or when he comes back um, so I mean and you know Daesh obviously recognised that that was a weakness and tried to open things up a bit and then you know started scoring a few more goals but started letting a few more in it's, it's about finding a formula um, I'll be honest with you I think yes, it's going to be a struggle for Burnley this year. And I I don't honestly see Burnley staying up, but I think Burnley are kind of running things quite sensibly in terms of their recognising what clubs like West Brom have done. Uh, probably looking at someone like Crystal Palace at the moment, who kind of done a bit of yo-yoing for a couple of years, but you know, you keep getting those parachute payments you increase your kind of financial arsenal a little bit. Um, and I, I think if Burnley are kind of fairly honest, that that's probably what they're looking to do at the moment. Um, I, I do think it's going to be a bit of a struggle. I don't think you're going to get embarrassed too often because, you know, you've got 
a good defence and uh, very organised. And, you know, Sean Dyche, I think he's a manager that, that players seem to respond to and he certainly comes across very well to me. I could imagine responding to him on the training pitch. But really, it's it, it comes down to quality at the end of the day. And I think everybody knows that Burnley haven't got the resources to buy the sort of quality that, you know, even Harry Redknapp at QPR can buy. Um, so, I mean, I, I think... I think I hope it doesn't sound patronising to say that you know Burnley won't embarrass themselves this season, um, but I, I do think it's going to be a bit of a struggle. And realistically, what I think Burnley will be looking for is to try and come back up again next season, if indeed you do go down, and try and kind of consolidate um, a little bit. I think that's probably fair, and the the golf in terms of when you've got a player as good as Sanchez that you pay thirty million for, and that's yeah much more than our whole squad cost so it does get extremely yeah. difficult from an Arsenal point of view you've got Theo Walcott coming back as well and it, it's a little bit brighter but are you a little bit concerned about the same problems defensively maybe coming undone at the end do you think there's any chance of a title challenge or is it going to be another case of top four again I, th- I think it's going to be another case of top four again for us I think um, after winning the FA Cup last year um, and, you know, signing players like that. And the summer started so positively with these, you know, buying a, an absolute star like Sanchez, who's a big addition to the league as much as Arsenal, I think. Um, and he's just been absolutely exceptional. But we're, we're, try, we're just trying to tweak our formula a little bit in terms of how we're setting up and we're trying to be a bit more... Because last, last year, actually, Arsenal had a lot of joy being fairly dull actually we were kind of we were sitting back on teams and you know winning one or two nil um, other than when the big games came along and I think he's just trying to make us a bit more exciting and a bit more creative and and I think he'll get there but the problem is Chelsea are just so good and so strong that you drop a couple of points and they're off over the horizon and I think if you took Chelsea out of there I think you'd have a great title race this season but They've just, you know, they've clicked fairly instantly with the players they've bought. So I think realistically, Arsenal, if, you know, we might even have a shot at second because City don't look fantastic, but I think they'll get it right. But really, I think it's going to be Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United kind of battling for third and fourth place, if I'm honest. It certainly is annoying when other teams are better than you, I can tell you that. But thanks, <laughs> yeah. thanks a lot for joining us, Tim. Best thought for the rest of no the season. Worries. You too. So that was Tim Stillman from Arsenal. Um, Ian, you were at the game on Saturday. Burnley held out for 70 minutes or so, but in the end, Arsenal just had too much quality going forward, I suppose. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it really was quite a predictable outcome, if I'm honest with you. I, I thought we, we you know, held out well, but it was a bit like the Siege of Mafeking. Not that I was there at the Siege of Mafeking, but... Um, the um yeah just the amount of pressure the amount of chances that they were they were getting in sooner or later it was going to pay off against us and yeah we really didn't um offer much of a threat going forward as the, the odd little um opportunity that came up but uh, yeah we clearly we'd gone there to 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 try and settle for for not getting beat by many and uh we didn't quite succeed in it, unfortunately. I, you know, two goals flew in very close together. The first two goals, and that really knocked the stuffing out of us. I think. Um, so uh, yeah, we never looked like really getting back into it after that. So at that stage, it was a case of, um, for me at least, damage limitation more than anything else. 
It's always difficult, isn't it, when you go to a place like Arsenal when you're not expecting anything. But is there a case for for saying that maybe we should have had more of a go at it? I know we started with four four two, but it did seem like we were sitting quite deep a lot of the time. Ings seemed to to drop back in, and and in a way that was reasonably successful. I mean, in a way, it kind of gave us that extra man in midfield. Um, the danger then, of course, was that you know Soidel, um really offered no threat at all going forwards. Um, he, he had a couple of couple of little runs, a couple of little bustling attempts, um, but really just didn't have that movement that you really need from a front man. And he certainly wasn't able to hold the ball up. Well, we can talk about Sordell a little bit later in the show, but James, 3-0 at Arsenal, I suppose that's about what we would have expected anyway, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's probably, you know, what you'd expect going to the Emirates, particularly as the last two times we've been to the Emirates that have been uh, three goals for Arsenal, um, but I think mean, it was a bit disappointing after the first seventy minutes to to then concede three. You know, we we defended so well, um, and I think at the end of the day, it really just came down to our inability to to get rid of crosses. On defending cross actually, there's a the piece gone on the site today by our tactics chap Wachek, who pointed out that Arsenal put a hell of a lot of crosses into the box. Um, 49 crosses apparently and although we cleared 80% of them that still leaves 10 crosses coming into the box that, that weren't defended basically and the first goal James in my opinion I think Michael Duff makes a little bit of a mess of it but to see Sanchez winning a header in the box it, it shows there's something gone wrong there surely yeah I mean Sanchez is Five foot seven. He's smaller than me, and I don't really consider myself a particularly tall guy. Um, so for you know someone six foot one like uh, you know like Michael Duff to not to not get his his head on it, and you know if it's a fault or a red shirt, that's, that's disappointing. And the second one as well is the corner that looked like it could have been cleared, and I think we're a little bit lucky the way it fell to James after the block on the line. But again, it's it's corners causing all sorts of problems and. Yeah, That's something I've, I've that seen, Burnley really need to work on, isn't it? I've seen Tom Heaton get a little bit of stick for that one, but to be honest, I don't think he does a lot wrong. It's more worrying um, that the, when the ball lands, Chambers is the only red shirt, and um, you know there's about six or seven black shirts around. So, you know, one of the Burnley players really should be getting his boot on that. I think. Adam, if I can bring you in about Sordell, who Ian mentioned earlier. Were you a bit surprised to see him on the on the team sheet instead of Jokovic to start with? And how did you think he did? Because there was mixed reports, really. Yeah, well, I I, I didn't actually look at the team sheets before. I I was just watching the, the players warm up and I noticed that um, Sordell um, was was warming up with the, with the starting eleven, And we were trying to work it out and it was like, why is Duke warming up with the... The um the subs and and eventually we we tweaked that it. it was Sordell starting but I I thought he did much better than I thought he would um he um he as as Ian said earlier he did get into some some nice little positions he isn't the finished article he's not a very good striker but I th- I think we were all expecting expecting him to be totally rubbish um, which he wasn't um so um yeah better than my expectations, but I think that's, not good. that's the, the thing with Sordell, isn't it? People expect so little of him. If he does anything remotely useful, people start praising him. Right. It does seem very odd. 
Ian, the, the lack of goal threat was something you touched on earlier, but it's. I suppose when you go to a place like Arsenal, you're not expecting to have a lot of chances, but it seems to be one step forward and two steps back in that we've scored in a, a few games in a row and then a blank again at the weekend and not really created anything to show for it. No, you're right. Um, I, I don't know what... Dash was trying to get out of out of it, really. I mean, you know, it always felt like it was a matter of time before Arsenal scored. And, you know, when you've sat back that long and just aimed to try and, you know, get everybody behind the ball. I mean, for most corners, etc., we didn't leave anybody up. We were completely, you know, 11 men back in our own box and, and still couldn't defend it. Um, so, you know, it, it's difficult then to actually turn it on and, and you know, try and look like a team that's that's looking to score. I think it was a problem. I, as I said, you know, I can understand why Djokovic probably needed a rest. I can understand to an extent why they decided to drop Ings back into midfield. I guess what I still don't understand is what Sordell brings to the squad or the, or the team. And, you know, I'll, I will stop banging on this drum. But, you know, as I, as I think I mentioned, you know, slightly before the, the podcast started, there was a, almost a bit of a punch up in uh, close to me in the Burnley end between uh, a couple of guys, one of whom had been slating Soydell all the way through the first half. And another one who quite understandably said, you know, come on, you've got to get behind the team. You know, whatever you think of Soydell, we've got to get behind him. Um, and I think he does, you know, I think it's obvious to most of us that have been watching football for any length of time that he's not a premiership quality striker and probably isn't going to be a guy to to get us or, or con- certainly convert chances against a team like Arsenal. Ian, at least something was happening in our end, though, even if it was a punch-up, because I'd just like <laughs> to say how bad the Arsenal fans were. Like We were discussing after the game, me and my dad, and it was, it was kind of like, what are they there for? They don't ever sing unless they're winning, um, mm. which is the cliche, but it's true. Um, and and then once they're winning, they start turning around and giving you like giving you abuse and and like taking the piss basically. Um, and it was very odd the atmosphere. It was the, one of the oddest atmospheres I've ever been in because you were sat there in silence, and we were the only ones singing. We were singing most of the first half and most of the second, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, and I thought the fans' reaction after Arsenal scored was very good because we, we just started singing in our Lancashire homes, um, which is the most irrelevant song ever for me because I have never lived in Lancashire and I have never <laughs> had a home there. Um, but I, I I sing along anyway. Um, but, yeah, I'd just like to point out how bad their fans were and how good ours were. I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, the, I think the, the amount of noise that came out of the Burnley end was tremendous. Even when the, uh, when the third one went in, there was still plenty of noise coming out. It's funny, I... I kind of make a point of trying to get to some of the bigger stadiums around Europe if I ever can. I, you know, I used to work all the way a lot and would always try and combine a trip with a uh, with with a fixture that happened to be going on there. Um, and, you know, I've been to places like Barcelona and Real Madrid, and, and it's very similar, actually, very similar, where people just go along. It's almost like football tourism. Um, people will sit and watch it like a West End show or something, wait for something to happen. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's a bizarre atmosphere. It's not like a, a lesser state of fan, I don't think. It's just a different type. Like Arsenal, because their ticket prices are so expensive, I hate to get into ticket prices, but um, the the true fans um, who have um, been um, yeah, there the course since... the course sort of been priced out essentially, hasn't it? Yeah, basically, and and it's just going to be not tourists, but fans who aren't aren't going every week. So it's not gonna you're not gonna get a. Uh, um, 
a kind of repeated um, thing. And it yeah. was very noticeable, actually, standing, waiting to the what seemed to be forever to get on the tube away from Arsenal's ground after the match. Um, how many um, foreign languages have been spoken in the crowd? And I don't just mean about seven. Lancastrian, but there were a lot. <laughs> so, you know, to my point about football tourism, I think there is something there. I think, you know, you do get a lot of people knocking around who are literally just buy tickets, you know, to come and watch a football match while they're here or, you know, on, on holiday or working over here or something. And you do see a lot of it, some of these bigger grounds. So it's it's a different, completely different makeup. Yeah, it's, it's not necessarily even a bad thing. It's just different. I no, no, absolutely. We should probably start talking about the football again now. Um, I've got some more numbers, and we'll come to you on this, James, because I know you're a fan of the, the numbers and the stats. More numbers that, that watch out, dug up face paced. Um, we had less possession, passes, crosses, shots, and chances than in any other match so far this campaign. We have 31.2% possession, only 299 passes, seven crosses, six shots, and four chances. Um, that's probably just an indication of the gulf between the sides, isn't it? I mean, when Arsenal have got a player like Alexis Sanchez, £30 million worth of player and looking every penny, it's just difficult for our lads to compete with those sorts of players. Yeah, I guess. But then you've got to remember, obviously, our first game this season was against Chelsea. and I don't think another team have looked anywhere near um, you know, you know, as complete a side as they have. And, you know, you look at the talent they've got, obviously, Fabregas and Sherwood, uh, Eden Hazard... I think that, you know, on paper, obviously, you'd expect maybe Chelsea to be a little bit more dominant than, than they are. Um, but, it, you know, I think when, when you, you have that little bit of a possession, um, all the other stats are just going to gonna tumble with it because you, you're just not getting the opportunity to get chances. Um, you know, you can have more chances in your position if you, you've got less possession, but not when you've got just like low 30s. Um, just because... You've got, got to think, think of the, the split of where you're going to get that possession. By the time you get to the final third, we've probably got, you know, what, three, four percent of the total possession. Um, and you're not going to get any chances from just being in there for three, four percent of the time. Yeah, I mean, I don't like to talk too much about stats on the podcast because I'm aware that a lot of people don't really like it. And of course, the only stat that really matters is the, the number of goals. But it, I think it is a sign of. of how we weren't really in the game on Saturday. And you can talk about how we defended really well for 70 minutes and I'll take that point. But we also should have, could have, should have given away a penalty when George Boyd handballed bizarrely in the box and Kieran Trippier cleared one off the line with his backside. So we could have been 2-0 down and down to 10 men at half-time quite easily and possibly even deserved to be so. So I think 3-0 overall was probably right. Um, Ian, if we can come back to you, how much are you able to enjoy watching Burnley this season? I suppose the opposition players are, are the sort of players that you'll be able to remember seeing live forever, but is it not starting to get a little bit wearing? You know, it's funny, actually. I was I was talking to an Arsenal fan in the queue, um, leaving the ground, and, uh, you know, he said, well, you know, you made an amazing noise today, guys, you know, really, really good fans, et cetera, et cetera. I said, you know, that's true, and I think it was... It was a, a day out, you know, it was a, a good stadium. You're watching good players. Um, but, you know, Hull next week, I'm coming up to Hull next week. I'm actually not looking forward to it that much. Um, yeah, I'll still enjoy it. I'll still go and have a pint with my dad before the match and, you know, cheer him on and all of that. But 
I don't know where the, the high points are going to come. I don't know where those real true memorable days are going to come because I don't know where the next win's going to come from. You know, I think Hull are a kind of team that, you know, are, are well-equipped to, to get a result at Burnley. But then everybody is in the Premiership. So, you know, I, I don't want to be too despondent about it, even though it sounds like I'm heading that way. But And I'm going to carry on going and watching it because, you know, I'm a, a Burnley fan through and through. But... I, I just don't know where that that next kind of real high that you'll remember for a few years is going to come from, and, and that worries me a bit. It worries me for for the amount of walk-ons that we're going to see, um, you know, as as the the nights draw in and it gets colder and, and wetter through the winter, um, so the money's going to drop off a little bit. Um, so you know, there's a whole bunch of factors around that um, that I hope somehow we can uh, we can find that that kind of golden nugget where we uh, we sneak a win somewhere and it puts us on a little bit of a nice run. But I don't know where it's going to be. Um, you've got a few days left to vote for us in the FBAs, which is the Football Blogging Awards. It's the first time we've been nominated. It's the podcast that's up for an award. There's various ways that you can vote for us. You just need to go to our website, knowninever.net slash FBAs. You can vote through Facebook, Twitter and their official site. All the support you can give us will be appreciated. The awards are next Thursday and we are all very much Looking forward to it, so please do vote for us if you enjoy the podcast. Um, just staying on the Arsenal game um, briefly and the wider point that Ian said about enjoying the football, James, and the the lack of results is, is starting to build on the, the fans and the players, I think. Are you seeing signs in the players that they don't seem to think that they belong in the Premier League? Is that fair? I don't know. I don't, I don't think I've seen that. To be honest, from the players, um, I think you are starting to see, you know, from the fans, maybe that they're not enjoying the Premier League as much as um, they initially thought they would. Um, you know, I know of a few who've said that the the whole circus around the, the Premier League was sort of taking the shine off it to start with, and now, obviously, the lack of uh, the lack of a win as well. I mean, I've got to be honest. I think the most enjoyable game for me this season was Leicester away, um, which probably isn't a great advertisement for Premier League football since that's a, a tie we had last season as well so um, so yeah so honestly I don't think the players are, are now starting to feel they, they can't do it in the Premier League um, they, they're probably getting frustrated that, that they're not managing to get that win but um, you know I don't think Sean Dash is the type that would let them start getting their heads down I think the, the momentum's the key thing for me and it, it just seemed, I can't quite get my head around why we seem to be struggling so much this time when before the season everyone seemed to agree that we had a better team and we were better set up for the Premier League whereas if you compare it to, to five years ago when we, in the Premier, when we were in the Premier League on Rowan Coyle we started like a house on fire really Ian, have you got any theories as to, to why we started so much better last time? Is there anything we can learn from that experience this time? Well, I think... Um... Yeah, I think the league is a lot stronger this time. Um, and, you know, there's an argument to say, well, so is our squad. I'm not sure we've caught up as much as we might have done. Um, because I don't think, you know, I don't, A, I don't think we have our, our full first team out with folks being missing in particular. Um, but B, you know, to, to go over that old chestnut again, I don't think we bought any premiership players really during that, uh, during the transfer window. So, you know, that really didn't help us. 
Um, and also, I think, you know, to your point about do the players look like they feel they don't deserve to be in the Premier League, I think there have been games, certainly in the first kind of 20 minutes, half an hour of games that I've seen, where I think that maybe has been true. And I think even Dash has alluded to it. Um, that they just, you know, have kind of been a, a little too respectful, a little too standoffish. I mean, there was a there was a part of me on Saturday that just wanted, you know, somebody to go flying in and kick one of them up in the air, the Arsenal players, because they just, you know, we stood off them, we just wanted to get players behind the ball. All the That's Kevin Ball when you need him, eh? Well, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, we... We kind of went there. It, it almost felt like an FA Cup tie. It felt like you know, kind of team from a lower division turning up at the Emirates and and just trying to you know dig in and get something or anything out of it, rather than it being a competitive Premier League match. I'm sorry to say. Um, so I think there is there is an element of that, and I don't know what's brought that on. I don't know how we get away from it. But to me, we do. You know, we're very uber respectful of some of these players and and teams that we're up against and uh, I don't think that helps us in the long term I think that's very true and you point about it standing off I sort of get it when it's a team like Arsenal or when we did it against Chelsea because these teams if you if you press at the wrong moments they'll just play it round you and make you look foolish but we're doing it against Everton and Everton are an alright side but they're in really bad form and we let them play the way back into confidence and that really annoyed me and I agree that it was a bit like an FA Cup game at Arsenal. It reminded me of when we played at Arsenal in the FA Cup in the promotion season last time when it just felt like the players and the fans were just there for a day out, really not really expecting to get anything from it. And while these sorts of games aren't going to be the ones that make the difference at the end of the season, they are all worth the same, and I think we need to remember that. We can't put everything, can't put all our eggs in the, the whole at home and Villa at home basket because you get the same points for all games and I think we're surrendering a little bit easily sometimes anyway next I want to talk a little bit about Michael Duff we've talked about Duff and maybe bringing in Michael Keane on the podcast in the last few weeks but I still think Duff is grasping for the right words here because I don't want to say out of his depth because he started the season so well but I do think he's starting to make a few mistakes. James, he made one outstanding block at 0-0, didn't he? But there was a couple of times when he gave the ball away cheaply. And I think he's got caught out for the first goal. What are your thoughts on Duff at the moment? Um, you know, I think with Duff, it's, it's a case really that he needs to, you know, he's key to his strengths. Um, I think in the Championship, you quite often see that he give the ball away, uh, trying to play it long from the back. Um, so, you know, maybe just cut down on on the, the bits, bits that aren't the strongest part of his game, game, I guess. But the, I think the, the biggest, biggest disappointment from Saturday was the Alexis goal, where he, 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 you know, at six foot one, he should be, he should be winning that. It should be his. Um, you know, we, we can talk, talk about how many crosses we did clear all day, but that's no use if you let one through and the shortest guy on the the team probably um, heads home. So. You know, I, I think, think he, I think he, he's shown, shown this season he can play at the right level, at the, you know, the Premier League level. level. Um, but, but yeah, yeah there's, there's been, been a few little, little, little mistakes that have crept into his game. I suppose when we've conceded 15 goals in the last five games, it's it's surely going to be the case that we have to look at changing the defence. I mean, we brought in Stephen Ward for Ben Mee, which was a change I personally wanted earlier, but it doesn't seem to have made a difference. To be fair, we're still conceding and still conceding goals from, from that wing. So that doesn't seem to have made a difference. So 
Ian, is the next stop to to bring in Keane for Duff? Do you think that's a change that's got to be on the cards? To be honest, I, th- I thought um, Duff in particular looked a bit shell shocked on Saturday. Um, I thought, like you say, there were you know he made one or two great blocks, um, but didn't look the player that started the season for us. Um, I think Shax has gone through a bit of a confidence dip. Um, he looked a little more solid um, at the weekend. I thought Trippier, by the way, was magnificent. I was reading the um, some player reviews, player markings the next day in, um, I think it was the Times, the Sunday Times, uh, and they had Trippier down as a five. And, you know, there were one or two things you could call out for him, certainly. But I, I thought he just had a tremendous game, just got bits of his body, you know, between the ball and the goal, all match and, and played very well for me. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know why we've got our two long players at the moment, if I'm honest. I mean, you know, Chalabar came on for his cursory kind of five or ten minutes at the end of the Arsenal game, ran around a bit, didn't really do anything, no fault of his, I don't think. And Keane just seems to be, you know, the missing man. And so I really don't know. I mean, perhaps Dash just isn't seen enough from them. Um, I wonder even if United might call him back, given there's no no defenders at the moment. Um, so uh, we will see. We'll see what happens on that. But I think, yeah, I I think we could do with a change, to be honest. Like you say, having conceded that many goals, and I think with their confidence looking that shot, it's probably worth making a switch. There's nothing to lose, in fairness, is there, really? Well, this is it. I mean, I'm glad that Duff started the season because I felt he deserved the chance after after he missed most of the Premier League season last time, yeah, I think. I Everyone was quite happy for him to start the season, and especially since we had that run of clean sheets and he was playing really well. But I agree, he is starting to, and I, I said I didn't want to say it, but I do think he looks a bit out of his depth, and he's not the only one, but he does seem the most at risk of being dropped. So, yeah, yeah I think I'd be looking at Keane, and like you say, it is interesting that if he was at Man United, he'd be getting games for them at the minute and he can't get in the Burnley team and we're the worst team in the league. It's completely bizarre, but I suppose that's that's just football, isn't it? Um, James, it's hindsight, I suppose, but we've, we've talked about the way Burnley sat back at Arsenal and seemed like they were pretty much going to feed off scraps, but was that the t- chance to bring in Shelbar in the holding role and see if we can play with that different shape? Um, yeah, yeah, you know, potentially. Um, but I think the change that was made and Sodell coming in, I thought Sodell actually you know, did reasonably well considering how little we actually got outside of our own half. Um, but you do have to wonder if there's going to be a time for Chalba to come in and, and play that, that five in the middle. Um, you know, someone's going to have to tell me why that's that's not happening. Well, I'm, missed, I'm as mystified as you. We've talked about this, it seems like, every week on the podcast. So I hope people aren't getting bored of it. But I don't understand it either. I know Dash likes his 4-4-2, but it hasn't been working. And it, it has to be time to try something else. But on the flip side, to argue against myself, um, if we're going to play Hull on Saturday at home, it wouldn't make sense to, to drop a strike or it. And surely we've got to be positive and play 4-4-2 on Saturday. I, I think we do have to go four four two. If ever there was a a game for four five one, I would suggest it was last Saturday, um, because um, you know with the the dominating midfield that that Arsenal have and the way they play the ball around in there, 
um, that would have been the time to put an extra man in there. And I know we did drop Ings back in, but you know he's not a specialist midfielder, although he did a, a reasonable job. So for the life of me, I've, I've no idea why we didn't just keep Ings up up top and and put you know somebody like Chalabar or, or I don't know anybody that's a red, recognised midfielder into into that space. But I agree against Hull. I think we have to we probably have to go four four two, and, and I'm sure Dash will do. I just think it would be it would be taken as, as too negative when Dash has been yeah. so wedded to the four four two, to then move away from it for a game that is I'll come on to this in a minute, but I think it's pretty much approaching must win. I think to, to go to a new formation and drop a striker for that one might be a little bit odd. Um on Shallow Bar James, I'm, there's not that much we can say, I suppose, because it does seem such a mystery, but from the little we've seen of him, it's difficult to judge because he seems to keep coming on when we're already losing and the game's lost. But do you see enough in him to be challenging the, the first team? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure. It's hard to say. My, my brother's a big Chelsea fan and he does watch the team. And from what I hear, he's, you know, he's got a lot of style. And uh, um, I, I think he could, he could make a difference, you know. But um, we saw last time we were in the Premier League that I think the the five-man midfield was a big part of, you know, how we did well. And, um, you know, I, I think you know, most football fans know um, all too well that you can't really play um, 4-4-2 anymore in the Premier League. It just doesn't seem to work. Uh, the, the, skill, the really skillful teams um, just, you know, overrun you in midfield. And you really do need that, that anchor man to play at, at the back of a three. I don't know whether that's necessary. It has to be Chalabar. It could be David Jones or, or probably not Dimoni, but maybe David Jones or Chalaba. And there's probably a little bit of uh, you know opportunity to interchange there as well. I, I just want to point out that uh, James is doing Taylor Swift references in case anyone had missed that. And that's that's why he keeps dropping in Taylor Swift uh, song titles into his, his little bits on the podcast. So hopefully you're enjoying that little addition to this week's podcast. Um, on the five-man midfield, Ian, it, it seems to me like there's a really good mix between those three players as well. And it does remind me of the last time in the Premier League because I would say Jones is, is comparable to Alexander maybe in a way that he keeps it very steady. Marnie would be the, the Chris McCann sort with his box-to-box runs and then could Chalabar not be the, the Wade Elliott who creates a little bit and has that little bit of spots that are something else? It, it seems like there's parallels there to me. Yeah, there are. I mean, I haven't seen enough of Chalabar. I mean, what a, you know, in his brief cameo appearances, he hasn't done much to impress. He's going to you know, let the ball get away from him a few times. And But, you know, if you're only coming on for five or ten minutes and you're desperate to impress, then, you know, it, it'd be tough to judge him on, on the basis of those appearances. So... Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. As I say, you know, if not four five one against Arsenal, then when? You know, it, it, I think we all agree that that would be our preferred formation, and, and we've been talking about it for weeks now. But you know, if it wasn't going to be last Saturday, I I don't know if Dash is ever gonna ever gonna do it. So um, whilst I agree with you, I think it could be an, a nice little formation, um, and would not be negative in itself. Um, I I just can't see it happening to be honest I, I agree I think if, if he was going to do it he probably would have done it by now and he must have his reasons I, I just wish mm. he'd come out and explain what they are because it seems so obvious to us um, all the time James have you got more thoughts on this yeah I, I think to be honest what's really maybe really important to remember is that um, 
You know, if you'd asked people at the beginning of the last season, no one would have said it in their, their wildest dreams they would have expected us to get promoted. Um, so just to be in this position is, is you know, is really good. And, um, and you know, we can all look at why we're not managing to win. But I think we've actually, you know, shown that um, we're not as bad a side as a lot of people were saying pre-season. Um, you know, we haven't managed to get that win yet. But there's probably been games where we should have done, you know, we should have got over the line. I think Leicester's won. You know, despite what Nigel Pearson said, um, and obviously Man United at home was another one where I think you know we we're quite unlucky. And, and Paris away, you know, uh, another day, and Julian Speroni doesn't guess the right way, and, and we've got a one 0 win there. I knew you were going to be troubled today, James. I knew it. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> let, let, let's shake off all those Taylor Swift references and, and move on. Talking about lucky, and I've heard mixed things about the luck. I don't think we've been particularly unlucky. I think we're about where we deserve to be. What What are your thoughts on this? Have we been lucky? Have we been unlucky debate? No, I mean, yeah, we are where we deserve to be, I think. I don't think you can concede that many goals and put them all down to bad luck. Um, or score so few goals and put that down to bad luck. I mean, the yeah, the only bad luck for me is obviously Voxy not being around. I think that's that's really hit at the heart of the the team and the squad. Um, and obviously, you know, we had that patch where you know Dean Barney was out and and uh, you know midfield was looking very bare. So when you think about last year, where we hardly had an injury for the whole season, um, we've been unlucky in that respect. But I think in terms of you know decisions, bounce the ball, etc., some of those things do tend to go against you, and the other team's got a lot of momentum. I mean, even on Saturday, I thought, you know, the referee went through a stage where he wouldn't give us anything. Um, but you know that that happens. It's um, you know when a, when a team has got you know eighty percent possession or whatever, and they're coming at you all the time. I think. I'm sure they don't mean to, but I, I think referees tend to favour them and the, the team that are under the cosh get very little typically. Um, but that's just a factor of pressure, you know, uh, and momentum. So somehow we need to break that cycle. Um, but I, you know, in answer to your question, I wouldn't put it down to bad luck at all. One thing we haven't really mentioned about the Arsenal game was the return of Dean Marnie. Uh, probably didn't make as much difference as we were hoping after a month out, but it was good to see him back, wasn't it, James? Yeah, and to be honest, it's actually maybe disappointing that, that Saturday was the game he was back for. Because I know a lot of people sort of pinned hopes on, um, you know, maybe getting some out of the game from having Dean Marnie back in the side. Um, but a side like Arsenal, you'd expect to, to get a win at home against a side like Burnley. That's not to say, you know, we can't cause an upset, but you, you just expect sides like that to you know to win those games at home if they want to challenge for silverware. Um but I think particularly last season obviously we saw what a big difference having Marnie out of the side makes. You know, and the the change in the way the team were playing as soon as he came back was, you know, night and day. And I think having him missing for a few games where maybe they were winnable, you know, sort of Leicester away, who's to say that um having Marnie in the middle against Leicester could have made you know could have made a difference. Um, so it is, you know, it's good to have him back, and it's going to be really good to see what he can do against a team that's more, you know, more of a winnable game. Hull at home on Saturday, that's, you know, that's the kind of game where you expect Demoy to make a difference uh, and to give us, you know, every opportunity of getting three points. Yeah, I think the the counter argument to that is that Marnie could probably do with a a game with low expectations to feel his way in a little bit. So hopefully he'll be up to full speed 
for the whole game. Um, Hull's going to be an interesting one because the, the signs that they're having a little bit of second season syndrome, they don't seem to have started very well, although they've had a couple of good results away from home already. They are only a couple of points outside the relegation zone at the moment. Um, and they will also probably play with three at the back, so if we were to score five in midfield, it would pretty much be matching up what Hull do. But I agree with Ian, I don't think we're going to do that. So we'll leave the formations away for now. Ian, looking at the whole game then, do you think it's a must-win or is it... It's still very early in the season, isn't it, for calling it a must-win? It is, but we have to start getting momentum from somewhere. Uh, and I think when you look at our run of home fixtures coming up, these are probably the games that we had to think about targeting before the season. So it's, yeah, I mean, it, of course it isn't must win because, you know, there's no, neg- there's no negative outcome if, if we don't win apart from the fact we don't get the points. But um, I think we really have to start picking up the odd three points here or there. Otherwise that, that real sense of a lack of momentum just builds and builds and builds. And you can see the, you know, the, the, the team as well as the, the fans kind of beginning to, uh, you know, accept our fate of, of being relegated with some horrible records, low points total or something, you know, it's that kind of sentiment that starts to seep in. If we, if we can't get our first win from somewhere. Yeah, I agree. And no, no. Don't even want to think about the possibility of that happening at the minute. But the longer, the longer it is without um, without that first win, you do you do worry if that's going to play on the minds of people a little bit more. Um, James, looking at the fixtures coming up, it does look like a almost make or break time of the season, especially with some of the games we've got in December. I mean, we've got three home games now: Hull, Villa, and Newcastle. These are games that we need to be getting something from, and although Stoke away is going to be tough those three home games, we've got to start getting wins from those, haven't we? Yeah, you know, I I don't want to call anything, um, you know, must win at this stage because it is probably too early for, for saying, uh, you know, must win about anything. But, you know, you look at those three and you go, well, Newcastle, they're, they're a bit hit and miss. You could get something there. Um, and... So it's, you know, nothing's guaranteed against the side at Newcastle, but they've been hit and miss, so you could probably get probably get something there. Um Aston Villa, another side that you know are pretty poor, but they do sometimes get a good you know, decent result. And obviously Hull, I mean, they're all sort of around our you know, they're teams that are gonna be around us you'd expect. And and we need to not lose, I'd say, rather than must win. And um you know, because otherwise you, you you drop back pretty quick, and you know you don't want to talk about being out of touch. Um, but you know, if you don't start picking up points at least at home and not losing at home, and maybe trying to pick up a draw here and there away, um, you know you could be out of touch by Christmas. I think yeah, you the, look the at, problem with the draw. Sorry, Ian, go on. Sorry, Jamie. I was just going to say you look at where those three teams are in the table at the moment: twelfth, fourteenth, and fifteenth. You know, we start if we lose to them. Uh, you can see, you know, that gap getting wider and wider and wider down at the bottom. I think that's, uh, you know, these do become must-win games actually when you start to look at the, the points and and where that's going to leave us if we if we, you know, even draw a couple and, and lose one or something. That's a that's a really bad situation for us even at this stage of the season. This is a problem yeah, I mean, for me. I mean, the gap the gap at the bottom is already three points and it's five points to 
to get out of the drop zone. So I see where James is coming from, that getting a draw is better than nothing. But I think when you're playing the teams around you at the bottom, you need to be winning them. Otherwise, you're treading water as much as anything. Yeah, I mean, I think actually the, the biggest problem is possibly when you get past the Newcastle game, there's a, a run of pretty tough fixtures there. I guess it's it horrible. It's Absolutely just, horrible. After QPR away, December it's dreadful. Yeah, Southampton, who obviously off to a great start after everyone thought they'd be sort of embarrassing themselves this season. Then you've got Tottenham at third place. Again, they've been hit and miss, but they hit and miss in the top, you know, the, the top area of the table. And obviously Liverpool at home on, on Boxing Day and then City away and then Newcastle away. Those are just games you really don't want in that, that sort of close space. And it could be that come May, we're looking back to December and saying, well, really, it was over at that point. That's that's my concern, looking at those December fixtures. I think we need to get points on the board in November because I think we could quite easily go three or four uh, defeats in a row in December. And we all know what Burnley are like at Christmas. So it doesn't matter who we play at Christmas. And since we've got Man City away, we know we're going to lose that about 10-0 because it's Man City and they always seem to absolutely hammer us. Uh, we'll round off with some predictions then. Ian, let's start with you. Hull at home, I think it's a must-win game. Are you going to back us to get that first, first three points? Oh. On the basis of that, I am. It's going to be 2-1 to the Clarets. Let's end with some positivity. Can we get a clean sweep on the predictions, James? You know what, I'm going to say if it's going to be a dramatic game and we're going to, we're going to get a late winner in a, a 3-2 um, game. So plenty of goals. I don't know if I could even take it. There have been a lot of goals in whole games this season, so that's, that's something for our strikers to be positive about. I just wonder if it might be one for Jokovic to come back in for as well. Um, Adam, we'll get a quick prediction from you then before we round off as well. Um, I'm going to go 2-1 as well, just for positivity. Uh, yeah. I think we're going to keep a clean sheet, so I'm going to say 2-0. I want to be extremely positive, so hopefully... Hopefully next week on the podcast we will have a win to talk about, but that's about all we've got time for this week. Thanks to the guests, as always, Ian and uh, Ian and James for joining me tonight, as well as Tim from Arsblog, which is actually the name of the thing. It sounds like I'm making it up, but it is called Arsblog. And thanks, as always, to our sponsors at Neville G. And finally, if you have enjoyed the podcast, please do consider voting for us in the FBAs. You've only got a few days left to do it. All the details are on our website, none and ever net slash FBAs. You can vote through Facebook, Twitter, and through their website as well. One from each. And we appreciate all the support that you can give us. That's for everything for this week. Goodbye. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club. Because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.